Church, would you pray with me? Almighty God, we come before you as your people gathered in the name of Christ. We bring our needs before you, not resting on any righteousness of our own, but resting fully in what Christ has done. He is our hope. Father, we as a church intercede for the members in our church who are hurting. Father, we pray for our brother Dick Altman. Father, as doctors have found his arteries significantly clogged, Father, we look to you first for healing. Even before he goes into his procedure this week, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would heal his body. Father, we ask for your healing on our brother Dick. We ask that you would preserve him. We ask that you would show him new and fresh things about how good you are through this trial. Father, we also pray for our brother, Mike Vardanian. As his cancer has returned, we continue to pray for him, and we pray for his immunotherapy that he's pursuing, that it'll be helpful. Father, we pray that you, oh God, would work through this treatment to heal Mike's body. You would prolong his life. We pray for his faith to grow sweeter and deeper in you. That even through this trial, that he would know more of you having walked through this trial. Father, we pray for our church. We, we pray for the ministries of our church, oh God. We, we especially pray for all the, the informal and, and often invisible ministry that takes place across our members. Father, may our relationship with one another grow in depth with one another as we involve ourselves in each other's spiritual lives, as that becomes commonplace for us. May we all minister readily one to another and grow in Christ as we do. Father, we, we also pray for programs in our church. We think of the WANA program, which begins this Wednesday night. Father, we pray that the children who attend would have their hearts and minds shaped by your word. Father, we pray for our dear members who serve in that program. Father, we think of members like Cherry and Carl and Mandy and Jenny and Chris, and, and the list goes on. Father, so many others. We pray that you would give them meaningful conversations with our children, that you would give them wisdom as they speak. Father, mature our church, we pray. And we would pray not only for our church, oh God, but we pray for other churches here in South Florida. This morning we think of Providence Road Church down in Miami. We're so thankful for other churches like Providence Road that are faithful to the gospel, that we are not alone in our love for you and for your word. Father, we pray for Pastor Jose Abea this morning as he continues in their series in Romans and preaches from Romans 1. Father, we pray that you would work in their church this morning and through their series in the book of Romans. May they grow as a church in Christ. Father, may they know the righteousness that Christ offers and see it clearly in the book of Romans. 
Father, we pray that you would work in us. We pray that as we now together return to the book of Luke, that you would work through your word as you have promised to do. Father, open our eyes that we might be changed as we see Christ. Oh, show us Christ, O oh Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, the saying goes, time waits for no man. Or, as another author put it, yesterday is a canceled check, tomorrow is a promissory note, today is the only cash you have. Well, maybe it's an overstatement, but the point is right. Your time is limited and precious. Uh, but is what is likely less limited than your time are the options you have for how to spend your time. Your options are nearly unlimited. I mean, who among us couldn't think of a, a dozen potential things that you could give your attention to if you just had a, a few more hours added to each day? Jobs around the house, more attention to the kids, a book that you've been waiting to read, getting ahead in a project at work, maybe a nap. Your options for how to spend your time are many. So time is limited, options are unlimited, and if you're freed up. And meanwhile, the, the world around you is just speeding up. I mean, no one would deny that there seems to be this, this ever-increasing speed to our fast-paced, instant world, where multitasking is king, where there's always something new coming at us, is there not? And where processing time is now measured in even microseconds. No, now, my goal is not to analyze this situation of our current day. Rather, I'm merely, merely trying to set the stage for a far simpler question. Here's what I'm wondering. What holds first place in the race for attention in your mind? In this time-limited, options-unlimited, fast-paced world, what primarily commands your focus. Now, I'm not asking what do you say is primary. Now, that's a different, uh, important question. No, I'm asking, what is actually first for you? So, uh, if you were to assign an AI bot to analyze every thought and motive that went on in your mind, every choice, every preference, every decision of where to give your energy. What is central for you? Where is your greatest priority? This is, in fact, very much the issue that, that Jesus was raising last week uh, when we, we studied the greatest commandment. I wonder if you remember it. We heard this idea that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. You'll, you'll remember after that we saw the second greatest commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And then Luke recorded this, this illustration for this second commandment. We saw the Good Samaritan and, and what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. And now, having illustrated the second commandment, it seems that Luke goes back 
to that first commandment. Love the Lord your God. And he gives us an example of what this might look like for God to hold central place in your life. If you haven't already, open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 10. We'll be in the passage that Matt just read in verses 38 through 42. If you're new to church or even if you've been here for a while, let me just encourage you to bring your Bibles with you to church so that you can just follow along and you can see for yourself what God is saying in the passage that I'm trying to explain. If you don't have a Bible, uh, just at the end of the service, be sure to talk to one of our greeters. We would love to give a Bible to you. But as, as we just spend time together this morning, we're going to just look at this text. And as we do, my hope is to persuade you to make it your ambition uh, above all else to know Christ. That's what I want to persuade you of this morning. And, and to do this, we'll consider together the, the welcome that Christ gives, the, the risk of us missing it, and the reward of us receiving it. If you're taking notes, don't worry about catching all through those now. I'll come back to each one of them as I work through them in the text. But first consider with me, number one, uh, the welcome that Christ gives. So, so this story that Matt just read, it's the, the story of two sisters, and, and it takes place around this theme of hospitality. Look at, with me at the verses 38 and 39. They set the stage for the story for us. We read there, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, we already know that Jesus is on a journey. He's headed to Jerusalem. We've seen that already. And Luke has already told us, if you remember back in chapter 8, that he was depending on others to help him with this itinerant ministry that he had. Notably, if you remember back in chapter 8, many of those that helped him were women. And so here we see a woman named Martha. And this is the first time, and really the only time in the book of Luke, that Luke introduces Theophilus, his reader, to this character, to Martha. Uh, but immediately, as we read this passage, we're immediately drawn to her. She seems to be this, this patron, this sponsor of Jesus. She has this home to offer, and she doesn't withhold it. Luke says that she welcomes Jesus in. This is beautiful. As one commentator notes, this is a graphic word, this welcoming word, emphasizing that she received Jesus. She did, honestly, what, what all Christians are commanded to do in Romans 12, 13, where Scripture says to seek to show hospitality. That word seek literally means to, to pursue, to, to chase after, to hunt down hospitality. It's a good thing to be receiving in guests, as, as Martha is doing here. In fact, it's, it's one of the traits that uh, Scripture tells us is required of, of an elder. And, and this theme of hospitality seems to be central to this, this story as it unfolds. But interestingly, what is shocking is not so much what Martha does, or in a minute, as we'll see, what Martha doesn't do. It, it, but rather, it's, it's more shocking what Mary does. Or more, 
importantly, what Jesus welcomes Mary to do. And look down at verse 39. We find out Martha had a sister Mary, and she sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, this would have been shocking to the original readers of this story. It's not shocking that Mary would want to hear from Jesus. Everyone throughout this whole book of Luke is repeatedly wanting to get close to this man, Jesus, to this rabbi, to hear what he is saying. His teaching is just constantly drawing crowds in. People are hanging on his every words. So that's not what's surprising. But, but for this woman to sit here, now this is surprising to find. To sit at a rabbi's feet, well, that's the place of a, of a disciple. Uh, it's where you would expect to, to find a younger student sitting and listening. It's not where you'd expect to find a woman. And not only that, but when hosting a meal in the, the Near East, you would expect a woman to be serving with the family, especially if it was her family, to be back in the kitchen, maybe just stealing fragments of the conversation from the door, trying to hear what's happening in the other room. Uh, one commentator says it this way. He says, culturally, the problem presented in this pericope is not the portrait of the woman serving, for this is expected but of a woman assuming, and not only assuming, but even preferring the role of a disciple. You see, through Middle Eastern eyes, this is just a strange scene. And Jesus is clearly welcoming it. Martha's hospitality, oh, it's admirable. But Jesus's hospitality, it's unusual. It's startling. It's strange. Friends, this is who Jesus is. Jesus is constantly welcoming others in, in ways that make those watching feel uncomfortable. The privilege of being a disciple of this great man, that privilege is, is open to all. Anyone can sit down, even this woman, Gender is, is no limiter for your invitation to know Christ. This is part of what Galatians 3.28 means when it says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. It's not saying that there is no gender. He's saying there is no distinction and how you are united unto Christ in your relationship with him. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, let me just pause here. If you're here today and you're a skeptic, or you're just someone that's still considering Christianity, you might be hearing this claim of Jesus being welcoming, and you might feel some hesitation. I mean, one common objection to Christianity is that the Bible is actually not welcoming. I mean, our world emphasizes being accepting and affirming. And we Christians are often not seen as, as tolerant. Now, if that's you, or maybe that's a friend of yours that you're thinking about how to talk to them, I would encourage you to look at the Gospels again. And there you'll see that Jesus welcomes in others more than anyone else. But what you'll also find is that 
While anyone can come to Jesus, everyone is changed by Jesus. That's just the way it works. So if your definition of welcoming is that Jesus will never demand anything of you, that he will never ask you to change, that he'll never push on you and maybe tell you that you're wrong about something, even when it's for your own good, well, that's just not truly loving. That wouldn't be truly loving. That's a strange definition of welcoming from the one who is God. Mary here is an outsider, and she's welcomed in to come learn from Jesus, to be shaped by Jesus. Friends, if Jesus welcomed her to come learn, he will welcome you. He will welcome anyone to come sit at his feet. And he will change everyone who does. You see, all of us are, are sinners. All of us have wronged God by our rebellion against him, by doing what we want, by thinking we know better than God. The Bible says that Jesus Christ came. He died on the cross in our place so that when we trust his work on the cross and when we repent of our sins, he radically welcomes us. And then he changes us. If you haven't already, come to Jesus today. This is for all of us. Come to Christ today. Come to him in faith and come to him to sit at his feet as a disciple. Come learn from him. Come sit under his word to learn from him, to enjoy him. Come to commune, to, to, to really to fellowship with him. Come to Jesus. This is the welcome Christ gives. Now, there, there is a plot twist. There's a, there's a problem, or really a second problem, that then arises in this story. You see, as Martha serves, and Mary strangely listens as a disciple, a sibling rivalry seems to develop. Did you see that? Look at verses 40 and 41. But Martha, here's the twist, was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. So here we see not only the welcome that Christ gives, but we also see the risk of us missing it. The risk of us missing it. Now, historically, uh, Mary and Martha are often used to contrast two different approaches to the Christian life. One is more contemplative, like Mary, and one is more dedicated to service, to, to action, like Martha. I don't think that's what's happening here in the text. I think Luke is clearly telling this story to give a value statement to Mary and Martha. We're, we're meant to see something about Martha from this story. If, if Mary was welcome to come sit and learn at Jesus' feet, here we see that Martha is distracted. Did you see that? I think that's the central word defining Martha. She's distracted. Now, the idea of being distracted, it means to be, to be pulled away, to, to be diverted to where your attention ought to be. You know this well from your life, unfortunately, and I do as well. You've been distracted many times. You look away from the road when you should be driving and focused. Or your teenage driver does, and it makes you nervous. You, uh, you open up Facebook when you should be working at work. 
or you stop and, and you read your Apple Watch when you should be fully engaged with the conversation in front of you. We all get distracted. But this distraction, it's of a specific kind. You see, Martha is pulled away from her attention on Christ. Her focus isn't like Mary's. Uh, it's shifted from Christ himself to something else. Now, now distraction from Christ, it, it takes different shape in, in each of us. Look at how it looks for Martha. It seems that she almost starts into this downward spiral. She goes from worry to comparison to complaint to self-pity. So she's, she worries. Jesus points out, you're anxious. And then she compares. She says, my sister has left me. She's not looking at Jesus. She's looking over at her sister. Worry, comparison. Then she complains, Lord, do you not care? And then she ends in self-pity. She's left me alone. I'm alone, serving here alone. I'm the only one doing the hard work around here. I wonder if any of these downward steps sound familiar to your heart. Worry, comparison, complaint, self-pity. Oh, beloved, taking your eyes off of Christ, being distracted from him, leads us to this self-centeredness. It leads us to being turned in on ourselves. Martha is pulled away from Jesus, and so her heart goes to these, these places that it really shouldn't go. But did you notice? Did you notice what she's distracted with? Why did she miss Jesus? Now, here we have yet another surprise of the passage. Martha isn't pulled away from knowing Christ by bad things. It's not like what she's doing here is just inherently wrong. And she's not like the Pharisees, like we'll see in the next chapter, who are, are pulled away as they're trying to find a way to destroy Jesus. Oh no, she's pulled away from Christ by serving Christ. Now, now, now to feel the weight of this surprise, you have to understand just how highly Scripture speaks of serving it is a, a wonderful and good thing for all of us to do. It, we're all commanded to serve. And Jesus says that he who wants to be great must first, first be the, the servant of all. Does he not? Jesus himself had held up the good, example of the Good Samaritan. We just finished that last week. Who risked his life serving others. Jesus said that, that he, Jesus, came himself to, to serve. He came as a servant. And Jesus had told Satan when he was tempted that it is the Lord your God that you shall serve. And here Martha is doing just that. She is serving the Lord her God. And yet, in her serving, she's distracted from the person she is meant to be serving. If this story had taken place with Mary, Martha distracted by, by doing a wrong thing, we'd be, I think, far less challenged here. But the moral of the story is not contrasting the good and the bad. No, it's contrasting and highlighting the difference between a good thing that has taken the place of the great thing. It's highlighting the misplaced priority between distracted serving 
and devotion to Christ himself. Friends, uh, for those of us who have been studying through Luke, I just was immediately drawn back to, to Peter. If you remember, he went up on this mountain and he saw this just glorious view of Christ in the transfiguration. And he was just overwhelmed with Christ's glory. And it isn't long before he, he almost wanted to hold on to the moment, turns his attention from that to what he can do. Let me, let me build some tents. Let me get busy here. Build some tents so that this moment can stay instead of keeping his attention on the glorious Christ that was in front of him. This is indeed the inclination of all of our hearts. And notice what she's distracted from. I mean, what does, what does Martha really need? What do you and I really need? Look at verses 41 and 42. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mar Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So we've seen the, the welcome Christ gives. We've seen the, the risk of us missing it. Here we see the reward of us receiving it. So when, when Martha complains about Mary, Jesus doesn't correct Mary. Instead, he speaks tenderly to Martha. Notice how he says two times, Martha, Martha. This is, this is a tender address. This is a way that the Bible shows emotion in the speaker's voice. This, this, is, no, this is no harsh rebuke to this woman. This is a, a gentle hand of, of really a loving doctor who's reaching out and he, he's putting a joint back into place that needs to be refitted to where it should be. After all, Mary's, or Martha's devotion was sincere. We don't see this in this passage, but if you want to read more about her devotion of Christ, perhaps later this afternoon, you could go and read John chapter 11. It would be a great use of your Lord's Day afternoon just to see the caliber of Martha's trust and love for Christ. John 11. But Jesus here, he sees in this moment Martha's heart of, of anxiety and trouble, he says. He sees how she's consumed with, with many things. Many things have entered into the radio waves of her mind, the airwaves going on. They're going on for all of us. Right now, you're tempted to think about a hundred other things and the person here talking in front of you, right? And, and he sees that, and he says, you're... Your heart is anxious. Many, many things are there that are making you troubled. And he helps to clarify things. Uh, he, he basically grabs her to-do list. You have one, I have one. He, he grabs her to-do list, which is overwhelming her, and he says, let me show you what to put on top. Let me show you where the priority is, what goes to the top of, of this list. You have a lot of things on this that you got to do. But you only need one of them. Many things are troubling you, but only one thing is necessary. Friends, what is that one thing? It's Christ. It's, it's communing with Christ. It's being a disciple of of Christ. It's hearing the word of Christ. 
sitting at his feet, learning from him. That's the one thing. I even thought of this as we're singing this morning. What is our hope of reward in heaven? We just sang it. That for endless days, we will get Christ. That's the reward. That's what we're looking towards. That's the unending goal for all of us who truly are his disciples. It's enjoying him. Jesus isn't saying it's wrong for Martha to serve any more than it's wrong for you or me to serve. In fact, we need servants. As one brother put it, Jesus is pointing out that Martha is busy welcoming Christ, but Mary is first being welcomed by Christ. The best servants, the best servants are first disciples. The best servants know Christ before serving Christ. Now, just thinking about this, last October, I spoke of George Mueller. He was the British pastor from the 1800s who was famous for his work for God. Uh, you might remember him. I had shared that he had pastored one church for most of his life until he turned 70, which is when he took a break from the pastorate to become a missionary. That was his idea of retirement. And he served as a missionary for 17 years. And then he came back at the age of 87, and he pastored for six more years before he passed away. I mean, this man served our Lord. He, he developed not one or two, but five large orphan homes. He was just famous for his orphan ministry in the 1800s. He served over 10,024 orphans in his lifetime by his count. He preached more than should be humanly possible. If anyone modeled the, the beauty of, of serving our Lord and just laying their life out and being exhausted in ministry, a good exhaustion, it was George Mueller. He knew how to be busy in eternal things. But if you actually, if you read George Mueller's autobiography or listen to his sermons, uh, this was repeatedly not the central claim, uh, aim of his life. It's not what he most commended to others. It's not where he put the greatest underline uh, on the story of his life. He, no, he had a, a vision for serving that was first fueled by a soul-satisfying love of God. Let me just read this to you. And uh, read, listen to what the, this giant faith reflects on when he thinks about his serving. He says, according to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. Above all, all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Do you, are you hearing this, ministers here, those who are busy with work? Are you hearing this, elders? Pastor Caleb, Pastor Keith, elders, are you hearing this? Above all things, be busy to be happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention, but I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls 
truly happy in God himself. He goes on, day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. This has been my firm and settled condition for the last five and 30 years. But for the first four years after my conversion, I knew not of its vast importance. But now, after much experience, I especially commend this point to the notice of my younger brothers and sisters in Christ. The secret, the secret of all true effectual service is joy in God, having experimental acquaintance and fellowship with God himself. This is, this is the fuel that drives everything else. So to the Christians here today, do you know by experience the truth of what he just said? Do you know that the, the secret to all true and effectual service is first joy in God yourself? Do you know this? Do you know this not only with your mind, but do you know this with the experience of your life, the experience of your knees being worn out in the joy of prayer, the experience of your Bibles falling out apart because of the joy of opening them again and again. Beloved, this is what Jesus calls the good portion. He says, this is the good portion, me, knowing Christ first and foremost, letting your soul be happy in him, sitting under his word as a disciple, Letting his lo your love for him outweigh anything you do. He says that's the good portion. I wonder if you can picture Jesus sitting there as a guest in this home. His, his teaching, perhaps they're, they're preparing to eat. Perhaps dishes of, of hot food are being brought out. Start, starting to come out. Each, each person is is about to get their, their share of the food. They're going to get their portion. And here he looks at Martha and he says, Mary picked the good portion. Mary picked the good portion. This is what you want to pick. To know and commune with Christ above all else. I, another long quote. Follow me with it. John Owen says it this way. He says, This fellowship with Christ it's like a delicious banquet. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. This fellowship described under images of the greatest sweetness and the most delicious refreshment. Great persons at great entertainments are brought into the banqueting house, the house of wine and excellent food. The grace shown by Christ and his ordinances, it's refreshing. It's strengthening and full comfort for the souls of the saints. In this way, Christ makes his churches banqueting houses. That's what's happening this morning. We are, we're a group of people coming together to feast on Christ and to say he is so good. This is the good portion, Jesus Christ. This is what we do with the, in the Lord's Supper, which we'll celebrate in just a few minute, moments. It's a meal meant to focus our spiritual eyes on Jesus Christ and to take joy in what he's done for us. I wonder, I wonder if some of you are here today and you are spiritually hungry because you have not been feasting on Christ. Uh, you do not know 
how good his word is and how good prayer is. Uh, you perhaps minimize the sun, Sunday morning assembly in your life and this opportunity to feast your souls on Christ. There is a, there's a buffet of options in your life. There's so many things that you could choose. All sorts of things vie for your attention. Even today, we will walk out that door in less than an hour and a thousand things will vie for your attention. Jesus says, one thing is the good portion. One thing is necessary. One thing is supremely good. In fact, he's so good, Jesus is so good that if you get him, you'll never lose him. I think there's an echo of this in the last line of the text. Look down there, Jesus says this. He says, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Now, immediately in this context, uh, perhaps Jesus was just talking about what was happening. Uh, Martha, I I'm not going to rebuke Mary. She's not going to be taken away to go back in the kitchen. She's going to be allowed to, to sit here and enjoy my teaching. Maybe. Certainly that was true. Certainly Jesus did not rebuke Mary. But I wonder, and you can be the judge, I wonder if he's also perhaps thinking beyond that moment. Perhaps he's making a reference to the fact that those who find their joy in Christ well, they find that joy forever. It's the good portion that, that doesn't, doesn't stop. Even death can't put a stop to that good portion of Jesus Christ. So let me, let me just say this. Let me just say this a different way. If your joy, if your identity, your, your purpose are found in what you do, how you serve, well, friend, you're on very unstable ground. That might be taken away from you. I mean, one day your service will end. One day I won't be preaching from this pulpit. One day you won't be serving in whatever ministry you hold dear at this moment. One day that will end. And the moment that it does, like, like Martha, the, whenever it's overwhelming like Martha, or the moment that your service ends, you will find yourself shaken to the core. But if your joy and your identity and your purpose are not found in what you do, but found fundamentally in knowing Christ, in being his disciple, in being fed by his words, well, that joy will never be taken away from you. Like the disciples, who, if you remember a couple weeks ago, they came back from serving, saw demons being cast out. What did Jesus say to them? He said, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to your names. Rejoice that your names are, are found in the book of life. Let me just close with four brief applications. First of all, to the visitor. Anyone who's here thinking about Christ, if you don't know Christ, you are missing the good portion in your life. I plead with you, talk to someone today about Jesus Christ. Second, to our church as a whole church, to our corporate body, Oh, beloved, we, we could be distracted by so many things as a church. Uh, but becoming disciples of Jesus Christ, that's the central command. That's the, that's the great commission. That's our marching orders. As a church, what we are to do is to make disciples. The, the word of God, the centrality of the word of God should, should be central for us as a church. This is what we're going to spend next week talking about as we look at the word of God in relation to a local church pray that our church would not be distracted 
from what we must do to many good things that we could do together as a church. Thirdly, to individual members of this church, as you serve in the body, guard your own walk first. Especially in prioritizing this hour. This is one reason why, uh, just thinking about guarding this hour, it, it, maybe you'll notice our welcoming team uh, during the end of the first song when we start announcements, it's one reason why they filter in. Because they realize that they, they need to grow themselves. They cannot grow if they are not fellowshipping with the saints. This is one reason why our security team and our, uh, and our welcoming team and our, and our child care team that is serving right now they look for enough volunteers to regularly rotate in their ministry. The goal is that you're not regularly missing this precious corporate hour of communing with Christ. This is one reason why we keep making announcements over recent weeks, just asking for more child care volunteers, so that if we have many of them, the load can be spread out. We can be sure to guard our own walks with Christ first and foremost. Members, as you serve, guard your walk with Christ above your service. And then fourthly, lastly, to us as disciples. Let me encourage you. Identify your distractions and enjoy the good portion. So identify your distractions. Acknowledge what tends to keep you from spending time with your Lord. Whether it's in prayer whether it's time in the word, whether it's time coming to the assembly. What keeps you from this? Friends, we all have limited time and countless options. Like we said at the beginning, work days are long. Child care, mothers, it is unending. Our own attention spans are fleeting. We get tired. But, but ask yourself, where are you distracted? Where do you fail to prioritize time for your own walk with Christ? And then resolve to enjoy the good portion. <laughs> resolve that you would live out your life in not just in the public times, but the secret times in your life. That you are walking with Christ and enjoying him. Resolve that you would be like what George Mueller said, that you would seek above all things to have your soul truly happy in God. Let that be how you start each day. Today, I am going to make sure, above all things, I am truly happy in God. Look to Jesus. Look to him again and again. Turn your eyes upon Jesus again and again. Look, look full on his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Almighty God, we pray that our church would not lose the central focus of your word and communion with Christ. Father, we pray for the disciples in this room. Many of us have been anxious and troubled by many things. 
many of us are very easily distracted. Father, I pray for your help. We together pray that we would be marked by a love for Christ and a communion with him, a fellowship with Christ, with knowing him that shapes everything about us. We pray for your help today. We pray for your help this week. May we know Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus.